All right. Well, hey, you guys can have a seat. Hey, how was everybody's summer? Did you guys have a good summer? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, no matter how good your summer was, I can tell you it probably wasn't better than mine because I got this adorable little thing this summer. This is Charlie. She is probably terrified. She can't see you because apparently they can only see like eight inches in front of their face. Um, but I wanted you guys to meet Charlie. She is six weeks old, and it is her first revive service tonight. So anyways, I had to one-up all of your summers real quick. I'll be back in like 10 seconds. Good job. All right, so where were we? Hey, so um, any, uh, any UNG Nighthawks in the house? That's right. Is this a thing? It oh, okay, sorry. Any uh, Truett McConnell bears in the house tonight? All right, do you all have a thing? Woo, that's your thing. Yeah, that's great. Um, is there anybody I'm missing? Any not uh, bears, Nighthawks? Really? All right, UGA represented. That's right. No, no, he goes to school there. None of you, y'all don't go to school there. He just, you just like the Bulldogs. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, um, I'm super glad to be back with you guys tonight. Um, man, I have really been looking forward to this since we finished up in the spring. Um, this is like my favorite thing that I get to do. Um, if we've never met, my name is Logan Evans. I get the privilege of serving as, uh, as the college pastor at Christ Place Church. And um, Revive is really, it's the college ministry of Christ Place Church. It kind of serves as a front door to our church. There will be more about that later, but that's who I am. Uh, I'm so glad that you guys are here tonight. Um, I want to start our time together off by kind of introducing a sermon series that we're going to be walking through for the next few weeks. Um, so we're starting a sermon series tonight called Shifting Sand. Shifting sand. And um, that comes from the idea, uh, Jesus told a parable in Matthew chapter 7, I believe. It was at the end of this big Sermon on the Mount, really famous teaching of Jesus. And he came to the end of it, and he's basically like, if you hear the words that I just said, and then you go and you put those words into practice, you'll be like a wise man that built their house on the rock. But if you hear these words that I say and you don't put them into practice, you will be like a fool who builds their house on shifting sands. Storms came, winds blew, and great was the fall of it. And so uh, what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks, I think is going to be really impactful for you. That's been my prayer. And um, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking each week at a different lie from culture. You guys realize that you live in a culture that is like inundating you with lies? Like you live in a culture that they want to lie to you about everything. You hear these lies every single day. And for us to build our life on those lies is just like the foolish man that builds their life on shifting sand. But we have a solid foundation and a hope in Jesus. And so while we look at a lie from culture each and every week, we're also going to look at a truth from God's word that combats that lie. And I'm so excited to get into that with you guys tonight. But we're going to set it up um, like this. Actually, one, one quick second. I want to shout out um, our leadership team who, you guys know there's like Bible verses about worshiping in the secret place, right? They are worshiping in the secret place so that you can have a seat uh, here in this tiny little auditorium that we call home. And so would y'all give it up for our leadership team? So grateful for them. All right. 
You guys ready to start this thing off in about the most divisive way that we possibly can? All right, throw that picture up on the screen for us, Mallory. Okay, so does anyone not recognize this? Awesome, awesome. Um, I showed this picture at a camp a few weeks ago. It was a bunch of uh, as teenagers, and I asked, like, have you guys seen this before? And they were like, no. Oh. So this, this came out in 2015. Um, what you're looking at on these screens, this is, uh, this is a black and blue dress, all right? So you probably notice that caused a little bit of a stir because there are some people in this room. I know this is hard to believe, but there are actually people in this room that when they look at this picture on the screen, they don't see a black and blue dress. They see a white and gold dress or blue and gold or yellow and gold. So let's just, for, let's just settle it right now. How many of you see black and blue? Praise the Lord. I mean, something's happening here on campus. How many of you see white and gold or something that is not blue and gold? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. All right, Mallory, take that down so that we're no longer distracted. So uh, listen, back in, uh, back in 2015 when that picture went viral, it like split the world in two. Like I'm talking families turning on one another. Uh, children, like, just leaving home because their parents thought differently than them. I mean, it was, it was crazy how divisive it was. You'd just be walking through public, people would be like, black or blue or white and gold. And you're like, what? And, like, I'm telling you, it was, it, it, it was crazy how everybody knew it was so divisive. It, it was polarizing. People chose one side or the other. Well, tonight, we're going to be discussing another polarizing topic. This lie from culture that I told you we're going to discuss is really polarizing, very similar to this dress. See, as divisive as that, as that dress is, nothing hinges on that. Nothing. But everything hinges on what we're going to be talking about tonight. Everything. Everything hinges on this, that, that about 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus made some polarizing claims that rocked the ancient world. Uh, he would basically, he would say, hey, you know that God that uh, he, he, uh, he gave us the Ten Commandments, he parted the Red Sea, that God that caused the walls of Jericho to fall down, yeah, that God. Jesus would go into synagogues, he would go to religious leaders, he would go to temples, and he would say, I'm him. And just like we saw in this room as we looked at that dress, I mean, same thing, but on like a national scale. Like, I mean, it's crazy. It, like, really, the world split in two because some people, I mean, they're looking at him, and, and he's making these claims, and they're like, okay, I'm with you. Like, I see what you're doing. I see that you're, you're performing miracles. Like, I believe you. Other people are like, no, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. And then all the religious leaders are like, no, 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 he needs to be stoned. He's making, he's making claims that he is God himself. Like, I'm talking massive division. But this is no conversation about a dress. Like, where you land on this debate determines where you spend all of eternity. And so tonight, the lie that we're going to be talking about from culture is this, that Jesus was just a good teacher. That Jesus was just a good teacher, and the truth from God's word is Jesus is God. 
Jesus is God. So if you have your Bibles, grab them. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 tonight. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And um, I kind of want to give you a map as to where we're going to be going, how our time together is going to be organized. So if you're a note taker, I want you to write this phrase down. I think it's going to pop up on the screens. I want you to write this phrase down. This is kind of going to serve as our roadmap tonight. We're going to walk through each and every part of this phrase. And, And that phrase is this. If Jesus is God, he defines who you are. He defines why you're here. And he comes first in your life. If Jesus is God, He defines who you are. He defines why you're here, and he comes first in your life. So grab your Bibles, Colossians chapter 1. I want to read in verse 15, just verse 15. It says, Christ, this is Jesus, is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Now let's just stop there because that is a huge verse. We're reading in that verse the words of Paul. Paul writes from a prison cell to the church in Colossae, and he basically is combating this cultural pressure that exists in that church. Like, you guys know how we started by saying you're inundated with lies from culture? Same thing going on in that church, but just different lies. The lies that we're being told here in this church is, hey, you can attain a secret knowledge about Jesus. You can actually grow a little closer to God than everybody else. And so the church in Colossae, Paul's writing to them trying to clarify, like, no, Jesus is God. There there is no other. He is supreme. He is sufficient. He is all you need. Because these people were, like, worshiping angels. They were uh, falling into legalism, doing all these crazy things. And so Paul's message to them, he says, you don't have to work to get to God because God already came to you through Jesus. And so what what Paul is saying here in verse 15, like we just read, he's saying everything that God is, Jesus is, because Jesus is God. In the same way that God is creator, Jesus is also creator. In the same way that God sits on the throne and is greater than all things, so is Jesus, because Jesus is God. And culture wants to lie to you and tell you no. Jesus was just a good teacher. Like, he, he just had some really awesome principles, some things that you could put into practice in your life, and yeah, it'd help you out a little bit. Like, that's what culture wants to tell you. They would, they would say, no, he, he was just a great teacher. He wasn't really God. But let me tell you why this is a lie. Really quick, I don't want to spend too much time here, but this is a lie for a few reasons. Again, can't go into all the evidence, but first of all, Jesus claimed to be God multiple times, like multiple times. Throughout the New Testament, we read claim after claim after claim that Jesus made that he was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God, uh, co-equal with God, that he was God himself. We read this throughout the the New Testament. Now, there's actually an account in John chapter 8 where he says like the craziest thing ever. Basically, he's talking to this group of Jews, and, and this group of Jews, he's teaching them. And they say, Jesus, you sure do speak with a lot of authority. Are you greater than our father Abraham? And Jesus is like, oh, Abraham, yeah, yeah. Abraham and I, like, we go back a long ways. Like, I, I, I remember Abraham. I love Abraham. Absolutely. Actually, Abraham, he would love to be here right now to see what you get to see. Jesus tells these Jewish leaders that. And, and like, they look at Abraham as, like, the top dog, like, second in command kind of, right? And they say, Jesus, you're, you're only 30 years old. Like, are you saying that you know Abraham? 
And in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus goes, Truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And like, that is a huge claim. Because there's this story in the Old Testament where God himself identifies as I am. And Jesus is basically saying the same thing. He's making the same thing about himself. And these people came at him for his life. Like Jesus makes this bold claim that he is God. Now here's the thing. A claim like that, there's kind of one of two scenarios, right? Like either he's telling the truth or he's crazy. Like that's kind of the only two uh, like situations here where something makes sense. Like either he really is who he says he is or he's insane. So maybe he's crazy. But then you still have the empty tomb. You have this consensus among, histori- among historians that this actual person, like a historical Jesus of Nazareth, died, was buried in a tomb, and this body has yet to be found. Like consensus among historians that that is true. Like so much so that atheists are, like there have been hypotheses and theories trying to come up with like how this could be the case, that Jesus could be buried, rise from the dead, and appear to hundreds of people, like literal written historical documents about that taking place. And atheist historians have have tried to say like here's how this happened and not a single claim, not a single theory holds any weight. Jesus is God. But at the end of the day, like, no amount of evidence is going to convince you, which is why we're not going to spend all our time together with me trying to give you evidence for why Jesus is God. Because here's the thing. In the New Testament, we read of, of people, like stories of people, who were around Jesus when he did miracles, like healed the lame, opened the eyes of the blind, raised the dead to life, and they still didn't believe. So, like, if you think that evidence is, is what you need, I just want to tell you, like, it, it really, I think deep down, if you were honest with yourself, it's not evidence that you're looking for. You're just, you're, you're just closed off to the idea that, man, what if his claims are true? So tonight, what I, what I want to invite you to do is I want to invite you to, to just consider, what if he really is who he said he is? We, we talked about the first part of that phrase, if Jesus is God, But I want to move into the second part of that phrase because it's absolutely crucial. If Jesus is God, he defines who you are. He defines who you are. Read with me in verse 16. The Bible says, For through him, through Jesus, God created everything. Everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. What Paul is saying there is he's saying everything that that exists can be traced back to a point in time where it was created by Jesus. He says everything we can see, like the trees, the birds, the sky, the the seas, the, the, the land, like everything that we can see was created by Jesus. But not only everything we can see, also everything that we can't see like thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities and the unseen world, like everything in the physical world that we can see and touch and smell and taste, all of those things created by God, but also in the spiritual realm. Everything can be traced back to a point in time where it was created by Jesus. And contained within that everything is you and me. And that's why I love this verse. 
Because that verse literally talks about you and me. It says, he, it's talking about how Jesus made everything. It says everything was created through him or by him and for him. See, if Jesus is God, he defines who you are. This verse answers like the biggest existential questions of life. Who am I and why am I here? Like the questions that everybody has, like you ever been in that point in time where it's like you lay your head down on your pillow at night and you start like thinking about eternity, you're like, wow, that's really long. And it's like, wait, it's longer than that. And you're like, oh, wait, it's longer than that. Oh my gosh, I'm still a little scared. I can't go to sleep anymore. Like you, you like really worry yourself. You're, you're laying on your pillow and like these deep thoughts come to your mind. Like, who am I really? Do I have value? Why do I exist? Like Those questions are answered in this verse. See, if Jesus is God, he defines who you are. He says, you were created by me. You are the perfect creation of an almighty God. And so when you lay your head down at night and you wonder, who am I? Am I valuable? Do I have any worth? If Jesus is God, that question is answered. You were made by Jesus, which means you have immeasurable value. So a few years ago, um, Aaliyah and I, my wife, we went on a cruise, and um, one of the stops that we made was at the Bahamas, all right? And um, there's like a lot of stuff to do in the Bahamas, but for some reason, we weren't feeling it. So we kind of got off the boat, and one of the things that's really easy to do in the Bahamas is like these, um, they're like flea markets, okay? They call them straw markets. And so there's all of these like vendors and uh, there are people who have kind of set up shop, and they're trying to sell things. Typically what happens is they go and buy things, and they try to sell them for a little bit more than they bought it for. And, and so we, we go, and we kind of take to these straw markets, right? And so we're walking around, and I find the coolest Hawaiian, or I guess Bahamian, Bahamian shirt that I have ever seen in my life. It had toucans on it, right? So I bought this shirt from this lady, and um, probably paid way too much for it, but it is what it is. And so we kept on walking, and we come across this um, this other uh, stand, and man, this lady is sitting there, and she's got these big seashell bowls, beautiful. And Aaliyah's like, "We need that," and I'm like, "Probably not, but we'll." We'll see how much it costs, right? And so I go up to the lady, and I'm like, all right, how much for one of these seashell bowls? And she says, $50. And I was like, my goodness. Um, so what I'm about to do is going to sound really mean, what I'm about to say. However, you need to understand how these things work, okay? Like, they are not, there's like no MSRP on these things. Like, they're, they're not, it's not like Walmart, you go up, scan it, 1999, that sort of thing. It's like, they set their price. And so you haggle a little bit. So she tells me $50, and I'm like, how about 15 you know? And so, like, thinking, all right, we're going to meet in the middle. Well, her face, like, kind of fell. Sweet lady, like, I mean, she was out there working hard, and um, her face kind of fell, and she, like, all of a sudden started to look really offended. I'm like, what have I done? Like, she's about to smack me upside the head with a seashell bowl and say, pay for that, right? And so, like, I'm going, what have I done? So, I'm asking her, I'm like, I'm sorry, like, I can go up a little bit, whatever. And so I'm trying to get to the bottom of like why she's acting this way. And she, she says this. She goes, no, no, I made these. Like this isn't like every other thing that you see in this market. Like I actually, I go out to the beach. I look for these beautiful seashells, like the best ones I can find. And, and I work hard to turn them into these works of art. She's like, they're valuable because I handmade them. Here's the thing. When God created the world, 
in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says that he spoke and light came into existence. And like he spoke and, and trees and, and animals and, and, and like seas and land and stars, like all of it he spoke and it came into existence. But when God made you, he made you with his hands. Like that speaks of immeasurable value. And the Bible says, if Jesus, like, if Jesus is God, what's true about you is that you have incredible value, immeasurable value, because God made you with his hands. Everything was created by Jesus. If Jesus is God, he defines who you are. You are the unique, special, precious, miraculous, supernatural creation of Jesus Christ. You are valuable because the God of the universe, he knit you together with his hands. And there's no uh, amount of success, no amount of failure, no job, no amount of pleasure, no boy, no girl that can take anything away that God created you, that he hardwired you with that intrinsic value that you were created for. Like it can't be taken away. If Jesus is God, he defines who you are. If Jesus is God, you're not an accident. You're not a mistake. Your life is valuable. And no matter what you came in here thinking about your life, no matter how much value you thought, you're, you, thought you had, if you're like, man, I'm worthless, I'm not valuable, I was kind of just an accident, like no, Jesus says otherwise. And that is not true of you. That's a lie from the enemy. If Jesus is God, he defines who you are, but he also defines why you're here. If Jesus is God, he defines who you are, and he defines why you're here. See, not only are you created by Jesus, according to verse 16, but you're also created for Jesus. That speaks of purpose. And so, if Jesus is God, you don't have to question whether or not you have purpose. Your purpose is made clear right here inside of that verse. If Jesus is God, you were created, verse 16, for Jesus. You were created for Jesus because everything was created by Jesus and for Jesus. So you were created for Jesus. And what that means is that your life has purpose, your life has meaning, and it has been planned since before you were ever born. When I was uh, growing up, I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, and um, there's this huge art museum in downtown Jacksonville. Huge art museum, and um, one of the popular like field trips that you would go on when you're in elementary or middle school is um, you would go to this art museum, right? And so every year when this like art museum field trip would come around, I'm like, could I just be suspended or something like that? Like, that just does not sound fun to me. And so, um, but every year, I mean, the bus ride was at least fun. And so you, I, uh, I, I would go on this trip, and I remember being in elementary school and looking at all this art, really not able to appreciate much of it. And I'm looking at it, and there's one thing that's consistent among every piece of art on the wall, on the floor. There's sculptures and paintings, every single one, no matter how big, no matter how small, no matter how it was created. There's this little plaque below it. And it says, created by, insert artist's name. Every single piece. Because, like, why would you put art in an art museum if, that, if you were the artist and, like, that piece wasn't going to be on it, right? And that wouldn't make any sense. Because here's the thing. The purpose of all good art is to glorify the artist. And if Jesus is God, he's the artist. And everything that we do 
like every, every part of our existence is to glorify him. If Jesus is God, he defines why you're here. If Jesus is God, making him known should be the driving force behind every decision you make and every action you take. It means you don't go about your life trying to make much of yourself. It means everything you do is about making much of Jesus. Because the purpose of all good art is to glorify the artist. So your sports teams, your sororities, your fraternities, your, your jobs that you may or may not have. Uh, like every, everything, your schoolwork, like every bit of it. It exists. Like you exist to bring glory to the one who created you. If Jesus is God, he defines why you're here. See, here's the thing. When you know who Jesus is, you know who you are. That's what I love about both of those two truths, that if Jesus is God, he defines, uh, he defines who you are and why you're here. I love it. Like, if you know who Jesus is, you know who you are. And I think that this is why the enemy is like putting a megaphone up to this lie that Jesus was just a good teacher. Because like, if he could get you to believe that Jesus was not God and is just a good teacher, if he could get you to believe that lie, then like the logical next few lies that you will come across is that you're worthless and that nothing you do matters and that you're not loved. And Jesus says, no, you have worth because I formed you with my hands. You have purpose because you're mine. What if he is who he says he is? Right? Like, Just consider that. Please, don't, don't close your mind off to that. What if he is who he says he is? If Jesus is God, he defines who you are, he defines why you're here, and he comes first in your life. He comes first in your life. Let's keep reading these last few verses, um, 17 and 18. Jesus existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Let's stop right there. In verse 17, Paul is basically saying, because Jesus is God, he holds the entire world together. Like everything from keeping the earth spinning on its axis, on, on its axis to like the changing of seasons to the fact that you have breath in your lungs, all can be attributed back to the fact that Jesus is holding everything together. That's verse 17. But in verse 18, it says he's the head of the church, which is like, like yeah, that, that means Jesus is saying like, when we gather together, that's the reason we open with like, our God reigns and not like the national anthem, Right? Because, like, we are here to make much of Jesus. And that, that is what he's saying. But he's also saying he's the head of the church. The church being the people who have trusted in him for their salvation. Uh, like, he's saying that basically he is saying if you believe Jesus is God, he's got to come first. If you believe he's God, he has to come first. He's got to be the thing in your life that everything else hinges on. He's got to come first in your friendships and your relationships. He's got to come first in the way you choose to spend your time. He's got to come first in the decisions you make, like everything that you do. If you believe Jesus is God, Jesus comes first. Now, why? Because status 
Like, like the idea of status, right? Status determines response. Status determines response. Here's what I mean. This, is, this truth, what I just said, status determines response. This is why on a Saturday, you will see on TV grown men who show up to the fine city of Athens, and they have painted their body from head to toe. And it's 95 degrees outside. And so they're sweating this paint off. I mean, they look absolutely miserable. Like they're about to pass out. They've got glitter all over themselves. Like, like that's a Georgia football game if I've ever seen one, right? Yeah. We don't do that in Florida. We try to keep it classy. You know, that's how we do, that's how we do things. Um, but here's the thing. It's okay. You'll like the next part, okay? Like, if you were to go up to those guys and you were to be like, bro, what are you doing? Like, you look absolutely miserable. Why are you doing this? They would be like, they'd point down to the field. They'd be like, you see those guys down there? They're national champions. Like, that's the Georgia Bulldogs. They, they would point to the, yeah, you know, whatever. They would, point to, they would point down to the field, and they'd be like, like, their status determines my response. Like, they're a big deal, so I'm going to act like it, even if it means, like, making a fool of myself, being absolutely miserable, covered in paint, dripping sweat. Like, their status determines my response. And if you believe Jesus is God, what you're saying is that you believe he holds the absolute highest status, which means he demands the highest response, that he comes first in your life. See, there are lots of Christians who say they believe in Jesus, but their actions, their actions don't line up with their claims. Like, that's, that's real. <laughs> that's true of so many of us. So many Christians, like, say, yeah, I believe in God, but their actions don't line up with their claims. Like, you see it on their Instagram bio. Like, Jesus follower. You know, it's like right there at the top. Jesus follower. But then, like, their Instagram stories, they scream, people follower. It's like, look at this party that I'm at. Look how cool I am, 19, year old, 19 years old drinking, right? Like, like I, I'm following all my friends. Look, like, I follow people, Jesus follower, people follower. It's not just on Instagram, right? Like, like we, we know, like, this is something, like, we crave the attention and the affirmation of people. And so we'll do things just because our boyfriend or girlfriend want us to. We'll do things because our friend group tells us that we'll be cooler if we do it, right? Or you see on like the Instagram bio, like, Jesus is God, yeah. And then their, their Instagram post is like, I'm God, right? Like, look at me. Look how awesome my life is. Look at all the cool things that I get to do. Like, look how many followers I have. Look what I wore to the beach or what I didn't wear to the beach. <laughs> like, like, this is, this is so true, y'all. Like, we can, we can joke about it, but this is, a, this is a big deal. We claim that we believe that Jesus Christ is the king of the universe. Yet, like, he, can, he just occupies spot 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 in our life. Right? And all these other things come before him. But no, Paul, Paul says here, if Jesus is God, he comes first. In everything, because he, like, if you're saying Jesus is God, what has to then take place is that he has to have the highest status. Like, it demands that. Because he, he, he is above all. So I love this, like, thread that's woven through this night that Jesus 
reigns because it, it is so true and it demands that we put him first in our life. And when we do this, like it doesn't just have to be big things, you know, like the things we were joking about on Instagram, like it can literally be that you constantly choose more sleep over time in God's word. That's not putting Jesus first. It could literally be that you've become greedy with your money. Like it doesn't have to be these big, uh, crazy things. Like it can, we, we do this each and every day because here's why. There are always, like constantly, things that try to compete for the spot in our heart that belongs only to God. Like constantly, our heart, it's like this war going on between the things that like we want but like in our flesh and the things that we should desire in our spirit. It's this constant war, but Jesus comes first. If Jesus is God, he comes first in our life. If we truly believe that Jesus is God, then what we have to do is constantly look at our life and make sure that he is first in every area. And so I want to invite the band back up. We said tonight, if Jesus is God, he defines who you are. He defines why you're here. And he comes first in your life. If Jesus is God, he defines who you are. He defines why you're here. And he comes first in your life. What if he is who he says he is? I don't know... what you came into tonight believing about Jesus, believing about God. Man, maybe you came in tonight and you were super closed off to the idea that Jesus is any more than just a teacher, philosopher, somebody who had great ideas that we may or may not should put into practice. Like maybe you came into tonight knowing that Jesus is God, believing it, but your life doesn't line up with your claims what you say that you believe. So I want to lead us in a time of response. And I think there's probably a response for multiple different groups of people. Tonight, like again, some of you might have come in and you were just super closed off to the idea that like Jesus is actually who he says he is. That Jesus is God. And maybe tonight for the very first time, like you just felt something in your heart like, like what if? Because here's the thing. If you're wrong, there is so much at stake. Again, where you land on, like what side you land on here, it determines where you spend all of eternity. So here's my invitation to you. Test it. Test it. Like that's an open invitation to you from Jesus. Like, like what I mean when I say test it is take this book. Like get to the place where you, where you can truly say, Lord, like, I'm still a little unsure, but, but I'm sure enough that I want to put this thing to the test. I want to see if, if you really are who you say you are. So I'm going to place my faith, my belief in you. I believe that when you died on the cross, that like when you came and lived this perfect life, when you were killed on a cross, buried, raised from the dead three days later, like I believe that that counted for me. And just see what begins to happen in your life. Like, I'm telling you, because I've lived it, purpose, like understanding of, of who you are, why you're, uh, why you're here, it all is found in the truth that Jesus is God. So tonight, for some of you, my invitation to you, just test it. All right, I'm, I, I want to place my faith in the Lord, and, and I want him to show me that he really is who he says he is. But 
It's got to take you taking that step of faith saying, all right, Lord, I do truly believe that you died and rose for me. Others of you, you're in this room and you came in, again, you firmly believe that, but you say you believe that Jesus is God, but your life doesn't actually line up with the things that you say you believe. So one of two things is true. Either you don't really believe it, or you have some things in your life that you need to fix, right? And, and like, we're, we've all been there. So here's what I want to do. There are so many people in this room, which is awesome. But it kind of keeps us from being able to come down forward and respond. Also, like, this thing is out. I don't know what that is. And so I don't want you to fall through the floor. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite all of us to stand. And I'd like to just quickly pray over two groups of people, right? I just want to quickly pray over two groups of people. The first group is the people tonight who you're saying like, man, I'm willing to test it. Like, I'm willing to see if Jesus is who he says he is. I'm willing to take the step of placing my faith in Jesus. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Nothing scary. Not, like, I'm, we're not going to make a show out of you. All I want you to do, heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. Don't want to embarrass anybody. Not going to point at you. Not going to, like, come find you after service. Nothing like that. Simply just want to ask you to slip a hand up in the air. Like, yeah, I'm willing to test this. I came in tonight, and I'm like, man, I, I don't know. I don't know where I land, but I'm willing to test it. Simply a physical expression of what's going on the, on the inside. Slip that hand up in the air. I see that hand. Praise the Lord. It's awesome. Awesome. Multiple hands up. Come on. Put them up in the air. Awesome. Y'all, I'm telling you, game-changing truth. So I want to lead you in a prayer right now. You can put your hands down. I want to lead you in a prayer, and um, this prayer uh, is, is just simply me helping you take the step to place your faith in Jesus so that he can show you that he really is who he says he is. So uh, if you would, just right there, just to yourself, I invite you to pray this. Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that my sins separate me from you. And Lord, I want to place my faith in the work that you did for me on the cross. Father, I want you to show me that you really are who you say you are. I trust in Jesus for my salvation. Amen. Then there's another group of people, and I have a feeling this is going to be like most of us. Who like, you came into tonight and you've, you have said, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died and rose again for me. However, I've not been living like it. And I just want to pray over you. If that's you, would you slip your hand in the air? Like, no better way to start off this semester. Absolutely. Don't, don't be ashamed. It is like, me too. Like, seriously. And, and I'm gonna, I want to pray for you. I mean, hands up all over the room. I want to pray for you. But I want you to pray yourself. That the Lord would continue, like that he would search your heart. That he would show you where you fall short. That he would show you where you have not placed him in the rightful position that he deserves in your heart. You can put your hands down. Let me pray for all of us. And then the band's going to lead us in a time of response. A moment for you to spend with Jesus. Lord, we love you. God, thank you so much for salvation. Lord, thank you so much for the fact that you are who you say you are. Lord, that, we, that you give us purpose, that you give us a reason for existing. God, that you help us make sense out of this life. God, without you, nothing would make sense. Nothing would have purpose. But Lord, you change everything. You change our heart, and we're so, so grateful. So Father, we love you. Thank you so much for these students. I pray, Lord, that you would help them uh, to see where they uh, have not put you first. And God, that they would make the decision to do that today.
That they would surround themselves with good accountability. People who can point out areas in their life uh, where they have not put you first. And Father, I pray uh, that changes would be made. That life change would take place tonight as you move in spirit and power. Lord, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.